Thanks, Amanda. Good evening. Come on. It's good to see you. My name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastoral interns here at the church, and it is great to be with you tonight. We're going to look at a passage of scripture, and we're also going to be talking about singleness. And you say, how do those work together? Uh, well, let's find out together. Um, let's spend some time, just a moment in prayer before we start. Father, now as we have gathered and we have sang of your praises, Lord, we sing of your name, uh, we recognize that ultimately, yeah, it's your breath that's in our lungs. You're the one who gives us life. And tonight I ask that as we pause before you, we, we forget that uh, we've had busy weeks. Lord, we just, we take a moment to set our hearts on you. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you'd be moving in and that you'd be guiding us in this time. Lord, that you'd be filling us teaching us uh, through this word. And Holy Spirit, be with me as I am an imperfect person, but you are a perfect God. And so would the words I say be your words, and uh, would you be most glorified? We love you and we praise you. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Well, singleness is a topic that is very close to my heart. <laughs> you could say I'm an expert. And, uh, you know, everyone, you spend time preparing for a message. I looked at Andy this past week. Well, I told him while I was preparing. I said, Andy, you may prepare your messages. It might take you a week. I said, I've been preparing this message for 24 years. <laughs> so tonight we're going to be looking at singleness. And then we're also going to be looking at the story of the woman at the well and see how these, things to, these two things mix together. If you've been with us for the last few weeks, we've been in our series called Modern Romance. And the first week of that series, I kicked it off. I talked about dating. And I talked about how what dating is, is it's a process of evaluation. We're trying to evaluate if this is the type of person we want to marry. Then two weeks later, Andy spoke on marriage. And his big idea was marriage is about sacrifice. When you are committed to someone in a relationship, it's not about what you can get out of it. It's about what you can give them. It's sacrificing for one another. And tonight, as we look at singleness, I feel like this is a topic that a lot of us can relate to. At least I can for 24 years, am I right? <laughs> a recent poll by Gallup, a Gallup poll in 2013, it said this. It said that 86% of single, never married Americans ages 18 to 34 would like to get married someday. Which, if you look at the world today and you think about all the messages that would be thrown at us, oftentimes we think, uh, no, nobody wants to get married. And then you see polls like this that say, actually, no, a lot of people do want to get married. 86% of us. And so looking at this room, there's a desire here uh, for marriage. But at the same time, there is a time where that's not us. We want this, and we get this. And if you've been with us, we've been talking that relationship is a good thing. That in the beginning, God, he created man, and he said, it's not good enough. I've got to give, her, give him a woman. And so that the two could become one flesh, and they could have relationship with one another. And I don't know about you, but uh, there's a profound difference between talking with another person than, you know, talking with a cat, right? There's like a language barrier, you know? <laughs> we were created for a relationship. And sometimes when we see people who are really, really, really wanting relationship, right, often we'll say, oh, they're really thirsty, right? Come on. Oh, that person's so thirsty for a relationship. And then you look inwardly, you're like, wait, I'm that person. And so let's just get this out of the way here. Um, 
A lot of times, young adults groups like this or NYA, we, we can call it a meat market. You know, <laughs> that people come here just to find a spouse and then get out. And to some extent, yeah, like that's true. But <laughs> we also grow together and we worship together. But um, I also want to encourage that this is the best meat market. You know what I mean? <laughs> that you, you're gathered with people who are pursuing Christ, right? And that you are here, and if you're pursuing Christ, you're saying, hey, let's pursue Christ together. This is, it's not that you can't find a person in a bar, it's not that you can't find a person at work, but this is a great place, and so we also want to encourage that and let you know that that's an okay thing. But if you're like me, and you've been in a time of singleness, you know, it's like, not the easiest thing. Sometimes it feels like God is uh, just playing with you. Ben Stewart in his book, Singleness, Dating, Engaged, Married, uh, he tells of this, uh, this predicament where he says, it's almost like God is, is just playing with us. And he says, imagine that, that there's the, the subway station, the tube in London. There's one person who's perfect and the other person's perfect for each other. And I'm just going to have them walk right past each other and they're going to see each other's eye and the one person, the train's going to stop and ha 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 And God's up there maniacally laughing. That's what it feels like. And I read that and I was like, wait a minute. Because I was just in London like a few months earlier. On the, on the tube, when on walked this just gorgeous girl, and I was thinking, well, how am I going to make this work, God? <laughs> just walk up, you know. Uh, I have three questions for you before I get off at the next stop. One, do you want to move to Canada? Two, do you love Jesus? Three, uh, what do you think? <laughs> to, which, to which she probably would respond, did you wear a helmet growing up when you rode your bike? You sure you wore a helmet? <laughs> it feels like just things don't work together. When I told Andy about this situation that I was in, he looked at me and he turned around at the desk as he always does. And he did the hands thing. <laughs> he said, Daniel, I think God might be calling you to singleness. <laughs> Andy, I think you're right. I think you are right. And he loves to play that joke with me. And uh, you, you love to think, hey, there's a reason behind it. And the best I can tell, actually, there is a reason for singleness. As bad as it seems like it is in the moment, there's actually a pretty great reason for singleness. Because singleness is a period of time in your life where you can have undistracted devotion to Christ. It's a moment of time, a gift from God, where you have a time of undistracted devotion. Both are good. Marriage is good. Singleness is good. And the Bible affirms both. So tonight, I want to look at this whole discussion under two headings. We're going to look at the gift of singleness. It says for, it means of. The gift of singleness and the secret of successful singleness. I'm going to tell you the secret tonight. Aren't you glad you came? That one's free. And... We're going to be looking at John chapter 4 for that portion of the talk. So let me begin the gift of singleness. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul writes this. He says, after talking about marriage, he's been affirming and saying marriage is good, and if you're burning with passion, you should get married. If not, then you should abstain from the passions. But then he goes on to say this, I wish that all of you were as, as I am. But each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. 
If you're single here today, Paul is saying you actually have a gift. Singleness is a gift. And so we have this thing where the Bible is now saying two things. Not good for man to be alone. Singleness is a gift. But let me, let me submit this idea to you that these two, these two stages of life are friends, that these two stages of life are ordained by God as gifts for different seasons of your life, for different moments. And there's a reason behind them. And then Paul begins to actually unpack some of the reasons why singleness is a gift. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 28 and 32 to 35, it says this, But if you do marry, you have not sinned. Okay, married people, you're fine. You have not sinned if you've married. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you from this. And then he continues, he says, I would like to be, you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord, but a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Some translations will say an undistracted devotion to the Lord. What is Paul saying here? Relationships are good, but they can be distracting. Singleness is good. In fact, singleness is really, really practical when it comes to a certain, a certain types of things. So Paul um, is, is saying this very thing. And um, let me try and unpack some of these distractions tonight. So some of you have walked in here and you saw, maybe if you're a guy, you saw a really pretty girl. If you're a girl, you saw a guy and you said, wow. Maybe, I, uh, maybe I'll try and sit next to them. And now you're sitting next to them. Then the music starts. I guess I better stand up. I guess I better raise my hand so I look really spiritual. Are they looking at me right now? How do I smell? Did I put on, did I put on deodorant right now? Okay, I can raise this hand. Uh, maybe this one. And you keep switching back and forth because both of them are really pretty. I don't know what to do. I don't know who to choose. Oh, my goodness. Uh, are they looking at me right now? All right, we're going to read the Bible. Should I have my hands out? Like, should I hold the Bible out in front of her? Uh, 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 uh. Distraction. That's Paul's point. There's distraction there. Paul will also go on to say that being single is going to release you from a lot of anxieties and a lot of things that you just don't want to be worrying about. So this past May, my sister got married. And it was super amazing. I love it. I love her husband. And leading up to the wedding, though, I wanted to stick a fork in my eye. <laughs> because the only discussion that, that went around our house between my mom and my sister is, okay, what kind of flowers are you going to have? And then your dress, is that going to be, like, is it going to be this style or is it going to be this style? Um, how many people are you going to have? Like, you want white chairs? Do you want black chairs? This is all going on behind me. And I try and tune it out. I just try and stare at a window. I have no, like, seriously, this stuff's going behind me. I can't imagine what it's like uh, to be engaged and have to go through all this stuff where if you're a guy, let's be honest, you're there like, I need to support the woman. 
in her endeavor. But I feel like I just couldn't care less. I'm like, as long as I'm there on the time to get married, then, you know, we do our thing. <laughs> Paul's saying when you're single, these are the type of things you don't have to worry about. So he's not critiquing married life, but he's realistically looking at it and saying, look, practically speaking, you have an enormous amount of freedom. You have so much freedom to be pursuing things that you want to do in this gift of life. The gift is a gift of freedom, and it's a gift of time. So this past December, I was meeting with uh, one of my friends, me and him. Uh, we meet weekly. We're accountability partners, so we spend time together confessing to one another, and we spend time praying for one another, and it's a really amazing time. And this one particular morning, he came and said, Daniel, what are you doing in two weeks? And I said, I don't know. I'm probably working. I think i got some shifts. i got an MC at the church, all that stuff. He looks at me and said, my parents were planning to do their anniversary to, to Kauai, which is in Hawaii. And uh, they haven't booked for these dates. Unfortunately, they can't make the dates work anymore. But the, uh, the flights have already been booked. And where they're staying is a timeshare owned by my grandparents. Basically, Daniel, for $100, we can switch our names to the flights and we can go to Hawaii. And the whole thing will probably cost you about $300. And I looked at Nathan and I said what must I do? <laughs> and he said, just get those dates booked. So I went around getting these dates booked. Now, did I have to ask anyone else for permission? <laughs> Let me ask the wife and see what she says. <laughs> I did whatever I wanted. I said, I'm going to Hawaii. No one is stopping me. I'm going to go there. I'm going to surf. And then it was raining, and I was angry. But when I wanted to go to the pool, I went to the pool. And when I wanted to go get a coffee, I got a coffee. And the only person I had to worry about was myself. And let me tell you, that is a gift. <laughs> it's a gift. There's also gifts that come, gifts of time. Some of the guys in this room are guys that I got to mentor. Two years ago, they st I started when they were in grade 11. And, they, and walked them through grade 12 together, spending time every Thursday night through high school youth. I had this freedom, I had this time to, to engage with them, I had time to spend with them. I didn't have to worry about the wife at home. Even though that's a good thing, I was able to be devoted to them and be where they were. If they needed to meet and they needed to talk with me, I got to be there. We could go to Old Hand, we could hang out. It was an amazing opportunity that I had. I had this freedom that was there. And another freedom that you have, and this gift of time, is you just have, again, as Paul is saying, you have more time to spend with the Lord. You can spend time with the Lord whenever you want. You want to go for a prayer walk one day? You don't have to ask anyone. You can go. And Paul's saying, enjoy this season of life. Enjoy this gift. The gift of singleness is about undistracted devotion to the Lord. An undistracted devotion to the Lord, when you really know him and you dig deep with Christ, leads to contentment, contentment in your singleness. And so that's where I want to go now. The secret of successful singleness is contentment. What kind of contentment, Daniel? Soul-satisfying contentment. So Jesus comes into town, John chapter 4, with his disciples, and uh, he's gaining kind of a reputation now. People are coming to hear him teach. He's baptizing people. Jesus, you're baptizing more people than John the Baptist. So people kind of know who he is. There's a buzz around him. And they move into this town. 
And Jesus says, I'm going to sit down. You guys go get food. And so they walk into town. And as he sits down, he's tired. And uh, he just sits near the well to have a drink. Now, one of our community group leaders here, his name's Matt, uh, Matt Chapdelaine. He used to train me when I was playing football at WJ Mowat. And we did these off-season training sessions where if you ever go to Rotary Stadium, you'll see these massive hills. We used to run up those and then run down them and then run up them and then run down them and then do quick feet and then run back up and then do push-ups. And that guy over there is puking. But you would, we would do this and we'd work and train and train and train and train. Let me tell you something. When you're thirsty, a, water, a, a cup of water is refreshing. When you are really, really, really thirsty, it is almost life-giving. And when you are dying of thirst, have you ever noticed that, that water tastes sweet? There's a sweetness in the taste of water. That which usually tastes like nothing at all is, is sweet. And so Jesus comes in, he sits down, and around this time, it's mid-afternoon, this woman comes out, and she is there at the well. Now, the question that you should be asking is, why is she going at the hottest part of the day to the well? There's all the other parts of the day that she could be going. Why is she going at the hottest part of the day where everyone else is hiding inside? The reason is this woman has a reputation as well. The people in her town know she has a past. She has a reputation. She is a dirty girl. And you're not supposed to associate with this type of girl. So here she is at the well, and Jesus actually interacts with her. And he says, give me a drink. Can I have a drink? And you imagine, this is probably one of the first times that a stranger has approached her and talked to her in a long time, especially when you understand the history of how women were treated back then. And um, he begins to talk to her about this living water. And this woman, she kind of, if you read the text, she's kind of being snarky and defensive. Oh, living water? Like, are you just another guy who's going to mock me again? What is this living water that you're talking to me about? You have no bucket. How did you expect to get this living water? Hmm? Are you greater than our father Jacob who, who built this well? Is that you? Are, you? are you able to do this? And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And then this woman responds, well, where can I get this water? Why don't you get me some of this water? Hmm? Let's see it. Then Jesus calls her bluff. He says, go get your husband. Well, I don't have a husband. That's right. You've had five. And the man you're with right now is not your husband. There's a in pretty intense moment here. You know the tension? I've got to break the tension. I've got to break the tension. And so she, uh, she tries to defer again, to def defer the subject. And she brings up this, this idea of worship. He says, you know, some people, they think that we should be worshiping in, in Jerusalem. And other people think that we should be worshiping on the mountain. What do you think, Jesus? And he, and he, he looks straight into her into her eyes, and, he, and he, he tenderly interacts with her again. John 4, 21 to 26. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is that you've had five husbands, and the man you're with is not your husband. 
What you've just said is quite true. So he affirms her, and then she says, what about this worship in the place of Jerusalem? Verse 21, woman, and Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans, who are a people that the Jews and the Samaritans did not get along. There was a real hatred there, a real racist sort of tension there. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit or in the spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming, and when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And then Jesus, in this small moment, looks at her and says, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Now what just happened here? Jesus actually just made a profound statement about um, who will receive salvation. Because for a long time, a lot of people thought it's only going to be the Jews. And Jesus is saying, no, people even like you, even the Samaritans, even you, the dirty girl, will be able to receive salvation. And it's going to be through me. And so for the first time in her life, this woman is now looking in, at a man who, who is viewing as a true human, not just a, a piece of trash, and he looks at her, and he says, I'm, I'm your Savior. And she's standing looking at her maker. And he's looking at her, sa- her Savior right there. And it, it changes her. At this moment, then the disciples return, and they were surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking to her? But I love this. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back into town, so she left the jar. Back into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and they made their way toward him. David Foster Wallace uh, is an academic, he's actually a secular guy. And he has this famous address at Kenyon College in 2005. Or he says this, in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there actually, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. An outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual type of thing to worship, be it Jesus Christ or Allah, be it Yahweh or the Wiccan Mother Goddess or the Four Noble Truths or some infrangible set of ethical principles, is that pretty much anything else that you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap your real meaning in life, then you'll never have enough. Never feel like you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power. You will feel weak and afraid. And you will never, and you'll ever need, you'll need ever more power over others to keep that fear at bay. Worship your intellect. Being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud always on the verge of being found out, and so on. 
Here's my question. Is that you tonight? What is it that you're worshiping? Next question. How's that working for you? Is that bringing contentment in your life? Or when you lay your head on your bed at night, what do you think about? Do you feel empty? David Foster Wallace is saying, everyone who drinks up this water will be thirsty again. And the danger is that you do this with relationships. That you either do this, uh, you, you view dating and, and this, this husband or this wife that you're going to have, or you do this in your singleness. And you begin to view that as the ultimate goal. And look, let me just be honest with you. Um, this is an easy thing for me to fall into in my singleness. Why? Because I'm the guy on the stage. Who wouldn't want to date me? <laughs> Look, I am, I am here. I'm in front of everybody. I'm the intern. I'm doing all these great things. Look what I'm doing with my life. I went off to, and got a degree. See how smart I am. Now I'm working on my master's. You see that? Anyone would be lucky to date me. <laughs> filling up here, filling in the clouds sometimes. And then rejection comes. I'm the guy on the stage. <laughs> Why does nobody want to date me? I got this degree. I'm you know, becoming successful. I make wise money decisions. And I sit in this pit of fear. Because I've made an idol out of it. And so I can do one of two things. Often, like, it's easy just to take that and say, well, you know what? No one understands. And uh, I'm just single. And, um, and I'll just lord that over people and say, that's, you know, it's better that I'm single and stuff like that. It's, 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 it's actually, I'm doing far better than you, and I can be really prideful about it, or it'll just crush me, and I feel terrible about it. For a long time in my life, I had this, this idol that I wanted the 50-year marriage. I wanted to be standing there with my wife, and then I wanted all of our kids and grandkids and great-grandkids to be there and say, oh, well done, Daniel, you've made it to 50 years of marriage, yes. And then the years start ticking by. I'm not married yet. You know, I'm, I'm past the prime age of Abbotsford of 19, you know. <laughs> and I'm thinking, shoot, will I live long enough to see a 50-year marriage? <laughs> see that, though? You see that idol? Everyone who drinks of that water will thirst again. Do you know this woman that Jesus interacts with? Maybe she's... Uh, been through five husbands for lots of different reasons. There's people who will uh, say that, hey, it's because the husband died, and then when, when your husband dies in the ancient world, basically you're worthless, and then maybe the next husband got a, degree, a, a disease, and then this husband, uh, maybe this husband got a degree and then said, I don't want you anymore. You know? And then, but maybe it was the other way around, and maybe she actually was not content, and the answer that Jesus gives her is actually that. He's saying, what you're looking for will not satisfy you. Husband after husband after husband after husband, and now this guy. You just keep chasing, thinking that's going to fill your thirst. That's going to quench it. That's going to satisfy your soul. And Jesus says, you need something that will actually satisfy what your heart needs. And Jesus says, I'm the only person that won't abuse you. I'm the only person that, that won't... Um, let you be crushed by your pride or by your fear. Why? Because you don't have to earn my love. 
You don't have to earn this. Everybody who drinks of that water will be thirsty again. But the secret of successful singleness is content, is living water. And what Jesus is saying in this moment is you will never be content in your life. No matter what it is, maybe it's a, it's, a, it's a time of singleness, maybe it's a time of marriage. In either season, you're actually not going to be content. It's not going to be enough. You will become thirsty again. You need something more. Do you guys know the uh, very important movie, the very uh, influential movie, The Notebook? <laughs> the greatest love story ever told, am I right? So, in the notebook, they have this tremendous time of falling out of love and out of love, and then they end up together. And uh, she has Alzheimer's, I think. So she is, uh, I can't remember. <laughs> that was bad. But he, uh, this, it's a great story of the husband telling the wife back in, oh, about the love story. And then uh, that night, they both die together. And then they both, you know, it's like, oh, it's so romantic. And they're holding hands. The reality is, unless uh, you get married one day and then you both die instantly in a car crash, every single person in this room will be single again. You'll either outlive your spouse, maybe you'll never be married, or maybe you will actually experience a divorce. What Jesus is saying is you need something that is life-giving that will sustain you through your singleness, your marriage, maybe a divorce, even death. You need living water. That's the invitation tonight. Is come to the well, come drink of this living water. And so we can hear this message and be like, yes, I believe it. And we'll leave and we'll be like, I'm on fire. I love this. I'm drinking the living water. It's better than Gatorade. Get out of here. The Starbucks ice water. <laughs> I'm drinking living water. And then a, what, a week later, you're back in the same rut? Back in the discontentment? Back looking at your lot of life and saying, why, why can't I do this? I was feeling so good about it a week ago. And now I'm back in this place of feeling not content. I'm not content. You will never be able to be content. But there was one who was content. There was a man who was the embodiment of true contentment. Jesus left the comforts of the heavenly palace for the rags of the broken world. He was content. Jesus' mortal body felt weakness, and he was sustained only by the Father. But on this earth, he was content. Jesus was secure enough in the Father to talk to a dirty Samaritan girl. He was content. Jesus put off the passions of the flesh and lived a single life. He was content. And now this king offers living water to you. He offers true contentment. And why can he offer this to you? Why can he offer you this living water? Because when he was on the cross, he cried, I thirst. And then he drank the cup of wrath for you so that you could have a restored relationship with the Father. 
the relationship was broken, the eternal relationship was broken so that you could come back into relationship with the Father. Drink of this water and you will never thirst again. So look, my big idea here is singleness is really a gift, but it'll actually only be a gift to you if you find true, soul-satisfying contentment in, in the person of Jesus Christ. And if you, if you date somebody and you get married and you celebrate that, you will only be satisfied if you find soul-satisfying contentment in the person of Jesus Christ. And one day, when you're single again, you will only find true contentment in the soul-satisfying contentment of Jesus Christ. The, the invitation tonight is come drink of this living water. This fountain, this fountain that will keep overflowing, the king is offering this to you. Come drink. And taste the sweetness of grace. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. I'm thankful for this text. And Lord, I just ask that right now that we would be a people who respond in worship. Lord, we would respond and and drink of this living water. Uh, You've done a work in our lives. Holy Spirit, convict us. And we, would we respond in such a way that says, um, that, is, that is shocking to the rest of the world and they would see there's something different about you. What is it that you live like this, that you worship like this, Father? We trust in you. We love you. And everybody said, amen. Uh, we're going to respond in worship. Uh, there's going to be a song and I'm going to come back up and I'll lead us through communion.